Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything smart cities action, investment, and outcomes. Uh, my name is Adam Beck, uh, your host of the Chronicles. As you know, for our returning listeners, my day job is executive director for the Smart Cities Council, uh, looking after the region here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, this is episode 48 uh, of the Chronicles. We've, uh, we've come some distance, still a long way to go, um, bringing you today an interview, uh, one that I'm looking very much forward to, and, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll agree. Um, my, uh, my guest today joining me is, is Yasser Helmi, uh, who's from uh, Cisco, based up in Singapore, uh, but is uh, leading the smart cities uh, market for them in the Asia-Pacific region. Yes, I thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for um, having me on your Chronicles. Uh, not a problem at all. The, the pleasure is ours. I'm um, looking forward to this one, Yasser. Uh, we, we've shared a few notes, but I, I need to start by um, giving our listeners a bit of a sense of, of sort of who you are and, uh, and what you do at Cisco. Can you give us uh, the quick bio, if that's okay? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been in this uh, smart city domain at Cisco from the very beginning. So uh, a little over 10 years now since we started uh, this journey at Cisco. Uh, I started off in, in the Middle East region where activity was booming uh, at the time. Uh, this was followed by a move to Europe. So I, I was in, in Germany for a number of years looking after the European market. Uh, engaging uh, with the likes of uh, the city of Barcelona, the city of Hamburg, city of Copenhagen, and so on and so forth. And uh, about two years ago, uh, I took on the the challenge of the Asia Pacific market. So uh, you know, it's still a journey of the, of discovery uh, for me in the market. It's a it's a really exciting market uh, that we're in. In terms of Cisco, uh, we are uh, you know our our genesis was in the, the age of the internet and, and connectivity. This was in the mid-80s. Uh, since then, we've, we've evolved uh, quite a bit into basically one of the things uh, that we have evolved to is the smart city area, which I'm leading for this region. Uh, and this is really how to, uh, to use technology for the betterment of cities, making them more efficient and improving the quality of life, citizens, and so on and so forth. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, so, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. You know, the the, the word Cisco and the word smart cities and smart communities uh, kind of somewhat go hand in hand. Um, and this is why I, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, let's let's sort of kick off. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> you know, as you mentioned in your your intro, there, you've been sort of at this game for you know a solid decade. Uh, or more, um, you know, even when I go back to the origin and the birth place and the birth date of the Smart Cities Council, it was 2011, 2012, it was Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, it was North America, you know, IBM, Cisco, Smart Cities, Smart Planet, you know, it was, it was really starting to uh, gather ahead of steam. Can you take us back to those early days, tell us, tell us what happened. Tell us why it happened, um, and why Cisco, you know, threw its hat in the ring. Why, 
why the pursuit for the the smart cities connected communities idea can you give us yep. some backstory there? Um, I'm fascinated to sort of hear an authentic version of this that isn't uh, unfettered. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, like you correctly mentioned, so we are officially known as smart and connected communities at Cisco. So, so, so this is the internal, as well as to a certain extent, the outward uh, facing uh, name. Um, it started by being called intelligent urbanization. So when we first started it, we call it intelligent urbanization. And, and the reason was uh, basically, we've all seen the reports, anybody who's in this field has seen the reports about the urbanization, people moving into cities and so on and so forth. And urban living has surpassed rural, you know, I'm not gonna go into all of that. We, I'm sure most of the listeners are, are aware of those things. But as we saw that, you know, we looked at how cities have been built in the past and how we believe they should be built in the future. Because the way we address some of the basic urban services, you know, things like safety, like transportation, education, healthcare, and so on and so forth, the way they were addressed 100 years ago is very different to the way they are being addressed and to the way they will be addressed in the future. And we believe fundamentally that technology will have a huge role uh, in that space in order to make the delivery of urban services easier, to make them more efficiently, ultimately uh, costing less, and so on and so forth. So this was, this was the, the genesis. Uh, it started primarily in what we called greenfield areas. So these are cities that um, were being built from scratch. Uh, you know, we have, we have a lot of them uh, that have come up in China. Uh, we have uh, in South Korea, in the Middle East, uh, they've created these cities and, and scratch and still ongoing uh, to create uh, these cities. So this was our, our initial um, foray into this field by working with some of the developers and builders of those greenfield cities to make sure that technology is ingrained into the way they are building uh, building those cities. So we saw a huge opportunity uh, for us, uh, obviously as a company, to have that technology ingrained into the building uh, of the city, but also with our uh, city and country partners. So we work a lot at a, at a country level uh, with multiple countries around the world. And as they embarked, some of them embarked on this urbanization journey, uh, we wanted to enhance that uh, relationship with these countries uh, in order to, uh, to deliver to their citizens, to their cities and so on and so forth, a, a better way of running and, and living in those cities. So this is it. In a uh, in a nutshell, since then, uh, obviously after the um, uh, the economic uh, crisis in in the um, in 2008 2009, I I want to say some of these activities started slowing down a little bit, and at the same time, uh, we discovered or not discovered, you know, we came to the realization that existing cities or what some people call brownfield cities, legacy cities, or what you want to call them, they also had uh, 
requirements and ambitions to modernize and become smarter and run some of the existing uh, systems and services in a smarter, more efficient and, and better way. And this is why we also started looking at um, existing cities. So this is in 2012, for example, we signed uh, with the city of Barcelona, our, our initial MOU, and we started some of our activities there. Uh, that was probably the first quote-unquote brownfield city that we uh, that we worked on and then it just you know the rest is history as they say it just expanded from one city uh to to the other so that's that, that's been our uh our, our story in smart cities uh from a um from an intellectual property uh perspective from the solution perspective we are a networking ict telecommunications company so this is how uh, we started, basically, again, building the right infrastructure for those cities and so on and so forth. But that has evolved uh, primarily through collaboration with a very large ecosystem around the world into actually delivering urban services, such as public lighting, parking, safety and security, water management, et cetera, et cetera. So that urbanization um, uh, yeah. agenda and, and phenomenon and movement has, has certainly been, um, you know, a key catalyst for the the work that you've been doing. I suppose when we look back at at sort of some of the some of the milestones, um, you know, the, the the average smart cities enthusiast would would certainly. Uh, have heard of um, the Songdo project that Cisco sort of famously worked on. Um, that uh, that no doubt was an early sort of marker in, in your journey um, it, and an opportunity, as you say, at that greenfield level to to really sort of uh, deploy some solutions that uh, that helped um, communities and greater efficiency. Mm-hmm. And, uh, really in, ingraining sort of digital into the physical world. Can you can you sort of share? Uh, what you learned from that project and, and, and how those learnings may be carried over into some of your other uh, milestone projects or cities that you've been working with? Absolutely. Uh, as you correctly mentioned, uh, Songdo was one of our earliest forays into, into this domain. And um, even though it's in a, a developed uh, market of South Korea, it was a greenfield project, so it was built from scratch over an area, if I remember correctly, of about 1,500 acres or 40,000 uh, square feet of real estate in the CBD area uh, of mixed-use, you know, real estate, residential, commercial, and so on and so forth. And and the developer of the of the Songdo CBD, uh, they had a vision of very similar to ours, and that's why we kind of came together. Of the cities of the future need to be built differently than the cities of the past. So they, they wanted to really embed technology into the fabric of the development, underground, overground, operation center, and so on and so forth. So it really started with laying a very efficient uh, broadband network uh, in, in the city, in the, in the CBD area, uh, as well as develop intelligent traffic management, safety and security. Uh, on the residential side, uh, a lot of work was done around smart home, delivering education and, and basic health care into the homes uh, of people. Also, uh, things like smart waste management. So there's a large pneumatic uh, waste management system uh, over there 
Uh, you don't really see a lot of um, garbage bins or garbage trucks in, in Songdo CBD because of this high-tech waste management system uh, that they have. And this is all done through uh, a, a very sophisticated uh, sensor-based network that needed connectivity and so on and so forth. So we worked with, uh, with the developer on the master plan. So as they were developing the master plan of this physical infrastructure, the buildings and the malls and the schools and so on and so forth, we worked alongside them to make sure that, you know, the technology is embedded into all of these in order to deliver a better overall um, project. So the project uh, was rolled out uh, over multiple years. Uh, it's still ongoing to, to a certain extent. It's not 100% finished. Some aspects of it have finished, and, and we have people that have moved there. I believe at last count there was about 100,000 uh, people had moved uh, that had moved there and you know enjoying some of the uh, the high tech facilities that are available to, to them there. In terms of our learning, uh, obviously we learned a lot about how to address these very large uh, greenfield uh, cities, how to work with them on an overall strategy rather than point solutions. Uh, and the biggest learning from us as a corporation or as a company is that with these large projects, you need to have a considerable amount of patience. Uh, because they do take time, uh, delays are somewhat inevitable, uh, so it takes time to to develop a city. You know, the, the famous saying is Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, the same the same still applies, even though the technology has moved on. It still it still takes uh, a number of years to develop um, cities. The other thing that uh, we learned is, uh, in order to develop specific urban services such as the waste management system that I that I mentioned or the smart home system and so on and so forth. It's very important to have uh, an open architecture uh, in order to allow the developers and, and the eventual builders uh, of the city to scale the technologies and utilize different um, vendors and their technologies and so on and so forth to get to the ultimate goal of, of the urban service. So I would say these are the two key learnings, you know, the patience uh, and, and around the strategic view of it. And the other one is to, to really start looking at the open uh, architecture, uh, which, you know, we're, as we go along, trying to improve, uh, obviously, until, until we have today uh, a fairly open environment that allows multiple ecosystem partners to, to connect to our environment. Uh, yeah, so that, that sort of description you give around Songdo and uh, the, the support you gave it, the work you did, you know, I reflect on typical urban development today and, and kind of not a lot's changed, right? You know, whether it's greenfield or brownfield, you've got to deal with utilities. You know, we, we sort of put that, that sort of backbone mm-hmm. plumbing into the, into the ground. We then sort of build vertical infrastructure uh, above ground and places and spaces in between. So that whole general urban development regeneration process hasn't, uh, hasn't really changed a lot for, for a while. Um, however, I, I would imagine the technology, the innovation, you know, 10 years is a long time in kind of the tech world. Have, have you, have there been any areas around sort of, tech in the built environment that um that has really 
changed? I mean, you know, some of those strategies and solutions you described, you know, up here in Queensland on the Sunshine Coast, they've, they've got the underground vacuum waste system going in, uh, sensors and smart homes. Mm-hmm. Have we have we moved on? I mean, in ten years, has it has it changed a lot, or what has changed? How has it sort of surprised you, or what have you what have you really sort of been excited about? So I think um, I think what has changed is, you know, ten years ago, a lot of the things that uh, were talked about uh, in this domain were all very theoretical almost sci-fi to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And, and what has changed is that uh, a lot of it is starting to be uh, in a production environment uh, that is uh, working. So for example, if I take the, uh, the field of video analytics, so 10 years ago, it was you know, video analytics was there, but it was still in its infancy. A lot of the algorithms were uh, we're not quite there yet. There's a lot of inaccuracies, false positive, false negatives, and so on and so forth. I see that's an area that's one of the areas that, that's moved uh, a lot to the extent that, you know, video analytics has to a certain extent replaced a lot of other things. An example being in, in smart parking. So when we first engaged or started working in smart parking, it was primarily around sensors that we put in the ground that literally detected if there was a piece of metal, uh, a, a car basically on top of the, of the sensor or not. Uh, now with video analytics, we're, we're able to, to do that in much more efficiently and even much more economically because I don't need to put a sensor for every car. Now I can do it in, in other places. The, the other uh, thing that is moved on dramatically and you know it still hasn't reached a hundred, you know, level of maturity yet, but you know we're seeing a lot of movement. Is the area of AI and ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning. So all of these sensors, all of these systems in cities, they're generating huge amounts of data. And we first started by saying, well, okay, we're going to display that data for you in a way that is intelligent, that is intuitive, uh, that is open to a certain extent. The next step was, well, okay, so now we're going to take this data, we developed trends, and we're able to predict uh, predict things in the city uh, around, you know, crime prevention, around the relationship between uh, crime and public lighting, the relationship between traffic and and pollution, although that one is intuitive, but now we have hard data uh, to prove these things. And then based on that, the AI systems that some cities are starting to look at uh, are able to suggest uh, preventive measures uh, in order to avoid some of those things or obviously take measures and, and create standard operating procedures that allow cities to react to certain things that are happening in, in their city. So that's an area that I believe has moved on dramatically. It wasn't really... <clears throat> prevalent in, in the early days, we're starting to see it come in, but I see a lot of um, a, a lot of promising future and, and, and a lot of companies that are starting to look in this area. And I, I think sooner than later, cities are going to start adopting uh, some of these things 
as they learn to deal with the huge amounts of data that they're starting to get from their uh, from their different systems. Uh, your your reference there around AI ML. Um, I want to I want to sort of probe you on that a little bit, um, and yeah. I, I suppose you know a lot of people freaking out that the robots are going to take over. Can, can you give me a, can, can you give me uh, give me your view on that? I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of concern around AI. There's issues around ethics, um, cameras, yeah. facial recognition. There's there's just a perfect storm of concern, but equally. It's kind of a double-edged sword. It's got so much potential and and amazing opportunity to to fully be embraced in in kind of doesn't matter what area of government or department or function. It seems like AI has has just got a lot of potential. But you know we're also and governments are also in service to the community, um, and the community is. Um, is expressing in some instances concern, in some instances they're unsure. What's your view on uh, your view on sort of where the community's at with some of these really powerful kind of platforms and, and opportunities and solutions? And and how do you think we're going to resolve the sort of the technology people kind of rub that we we sort of continue to find from time to time? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's an excellent point and, and, and one that uh, comes up in, uh, in many discussions that I have with um, city leaders uh, around the world. So I'll, I'll address it in, in, in a number of ways. So the first one is cultural. So um, certain countries, certain cultures are, uh, let's say, more receptive or more used to or accustomed, I would say, to things like uh, cameras and facial recognition and so on and so forth over uh, over others. So that, I think, will, will, will remain there uh, for a while, at least. Uh, adding on to that, I think the way the, the generations are looking at topics such as privacy is changing. So the way my father and grandfather looked at privacy is different to mine, is different to my son, different to my eventual grandchildren. So I think as we go through the generations, I think people are are slightly more open to to sharing some of the things uh, that some considered uh, private. There's a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a joke. You know, we used to tell our our kids not to get into cars with strangers, uh, you know, up until maybe a, a, a decade ago or, or, or more. But now you have Uber and you have Lyft and you have Grab and you have Ola and all the different ones that you have around the world where you're literally getting into cars and, <laughs> and your kids are getting into cars with strangers. Mm-hmm. I know it's, 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 it's a bit of a tangent, but it just shows you that some of the attitudes uh, are changing from a cultural perspective. Um, if I go to the topic of AI, uh, now AI, and there's a lot of uh, ethics around that and so on and so forth, but at the end of the day, uh, AI will take us to where we need it to take us. Now, obviously, there might be some people who are uh, unethical, who, who might do things 
that are uh, maybe not the right thing. I mean, the same thing happened with, you know, the whole DNA uh, sequencing and um, and um, bioengineering and some of those things. So there, there is obviously an, an ethical line uh, that needs to be that needs to be drawn, and it's it's up to governments and the international communities to determine where that line uh, lies. But as you say, it does deliver a lot of positives. We just need to learn how to avoid uh, the negatives. One of the things that we do know is that AI will eliminate uh, a lot of jobs in the future, and this is something that a lot of governments around the world are you know still coming to terms with there are reports out there publicly available reports we even did one uh here in asean using one of the consultants here uh around these are the jobs that are actually going to disappear it was that granular uh within specific countries in the region uh, so then you know you have to start looking at things like uh, you know retraining uh some of these jobs, as you start, uh, you know, reducing the focus of some, excuse me, some of these jobs that we know are going to disappear in the future, and focusing on some of the jobs that will remain uh, after, you know, this this AI AI ML wave starts to become more mature and more settled down. I I want to pick up on that jobs uh, mm-hmm. point that you made. Um, sure. I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling that we're not taking that, um, uh, we're not taking that issue seriously, right? I, I you know, mm-hmm. about 40% are going to go by 2040 or whatever it is. You know, we hear those yep. stats all the time mm-hmm. and, and I hear it more and more and I, I hear it. Um, it used to just be, you know, uh, a, a very, you know, provocative statistic that would be up on a slide at a conference, you know, oh, and by the way, all the jobs are going to go, AI is going to result in this. And sort of people go, oh, yeah, okay, move on, next slide. Um, I, I'm hearing it more these days where when people are saying it, they're, they're saying it with a lot of um, uh, sort of authenticity, that they say it with a, a, a more meaning. I, I, I think we're starting to feel that, yeah, this could be something that plays out in real life. Do you think we're taking it seriously? And, and I suppose when I say we, I, I kind of have to, you know, I have to sort of refer to the we as sort of government on behalf of the people. But are, are we taking this issue seriously, do you think? Um, that's an excellent question, Adam. Uh, like you say, you know, people are aware of it most people know it's coming uh, i think the steps being taken um and and this is a, this is a personal opinion obviously uh, may not be sufficient to overcome that now as a company what we did so this report that i was telling you about we created that report and we gave it to to the ASEAN uh, organization and we said you know guys we're a technology company. Uh, you know, AI is coming. We're in order to help you. This is the report that tells you these are some of the jobs that disappear that are going to disappear now. 
what are we going to do about it? There's only so much that we can do. Obviously, there needs to be steps that uh, need to be taken as a result of, of these uh, of these studies. Um, it's, it is it is somewhat controversial. I mean, I'll use another controversial topic: climate change. Mm. You know, mm. uh, some some parts of the world and some governments and some countries and some cities are taking the climate change challenge seriously and doing something about it. Others are not. Some believe it's not even real. You know, so there are there are different points of view uh, in in the climate change rhetoric, which I believe are a little bit paralleled. Uh, in AI, the main difference is we've been talking about climate change for a lot longer uh, than we have with the sort of the challenges of AI coming in. So, so let's just, um, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. Let's just, <laughs> let, let's just stay on this theme of global crises for a moment. Um, I, I want to okay. I, I work up a couple of questions. Um, I, I need a couple of sub questions that lead up to my main question. So, um, I think it would be fair to say that that you, that myself, and and even government themselves would would, uh, would say that you know we wished we could ex- we wish we could be doing more, accelerating the um, the investment in in digital enablement and and data insights to help us be better. You know, I don't think anyone would say, yeah, I'm good. We don't need to do any more. So I think. Um, I think with that as a bit of a bit of a platform, um, we you know we could be doing more. We should be doing more. There's a lot of challenges, climate change, other others. Um, I, I think my question that's coming, um, I think the question that's that's coming, Yasser, is one around what's the burning platform? Is is um, is there something? Is there an issue? Is there a crisis? Or is there something that may be the, the the catalyst may be the um you know that moment in time where we can look back and go remember that that that's where it all started that's where it really sort of woke us up is there anything that comes to mind is there anything that you're seeing globally that potentially represents the burning platform for accelerating investment in and action in in sort of smart cities and and digital enablement for good so i'm i'm not I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a climatologist, uh, obviously. But I mean, what what we are trying to do is we are trying to highlight some of these essential issues uh, that cities and countries, to a certain extent, face. And our role is to to find out ways in which technology or the technologies that we are able to, to, to touch and execute on and so on and so forth, uh, have the potential to overcome some of these challenges. Now, whether they are taken on by the city government, city managers, even industry to a certain extent, something that we may try to, to influence in a certain way, that is definitely not our our, our decision. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we as a we as a company and, and me individually, we believe in uh, environmental sustainability, and a lot of what we do uh, is around that. How do we utilize energy better? How do we uh, reduce the use of energy, and so on and so forth? 
Um, in, in, in terms of AI, we, we, are, we are to a certain extent working with some of our AI partners uh, to make sure that the AI delivers on the promises of what it used to do, which is better city management, better security, uh, better utilization of resources, and so on and so forth. Uh, beyond that, uh, as far as Cisco is concerned, this is, you know, these are, you know, national security, national uh, matters. Uh, yeah, to a certain extent, political, political matters. So, yeah, whilst we do notice some of these things around the world and we we provide input and, and ways that we can we can help i think at the end of the day you know it's the individual governments and the individual uh managers of cities and so on and so forth that have the the ultimate decision or whether to do whether first of all whether they believe that the crisis exists or not and be what they're doing to to react uh, to said crisis and see when to react to said crisis, depending on how they see the perceive the uh, the urgency of the crisis. It's a very it's a very touchy topic, uh, Adam, that you yeah. bring up. And, no, uh, yeah, no, I, it's a challenging last, question. You know, yeah, I think to be very honest, you know, it's it's beyond me uh, or my company even to. To, to, to come up with a with a definitive answer to, to to some of these global crises that you're referring to. So let me sort of um, pivot out of crises, but let me stay around the issue of of outcomes. You know, we've talked about you know better efficiency of cities, um, you know, better services for people. You touched on transportation. You know, the sectors and markets. Yeah you know, Cisco works in is, 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 is very far and wide. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of make a provocative statement slash question. It, it's not me asking it. It's kind of the collective others. Um, and it's around procurement. It's around vendors and cities, you know, that whole kind of battleground at times that we, we sort of, uh, hear about or see about. So, um, you know, you're Cisco, you're a big global company, you're a technology company, you just want to sell technology. Uh, what do you care in terms of people and community? Um, talk to me about this issue, about being a massive global technology company, um, cities wanting to be human-centered. You know, what would Cisco know about, you know, services for people? You're a technology company. Unpack for me um, how, how you, in your role, but also as the organization, as the company, how do you often deal with that criticism? How do you continue to, to innovate and, and then obviously communicate in a way that, that um, you know, aligns with the narrative that this needs to be around, right? We, we know that this issue is, is a technology enablement issue. It is all about people. We know that. It always has been, but often the marketing's gotten a little bit skew-if at times. How have, how have you sort of, you know, borne the scars of that, you know, you're just a global tech company, you don't care about people kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is, it is an issue that does come up uh, 
quite frequently. And, and whilst you're absolutely right, we, uh, you know, we are a technology company and, uh, you know, we have shareholders and so on and so forth, you know, being the, the fairly large corporation that we are. Uh, so we, you know, this is a fact. Uh, on the other hand, however, especially when we start dealing with uh, cities and the public sector, if we look at a broader perspective, uh, our view is, is really how does technology deliver better education, better healthcare, uh, reduce energy, and so on and so forth. We strongly believe that the technology specifically in the smart uh, city space and in public sector as, as a whole, really serves a purpose. Um, now, you may choose to believe or, or, or not believe that, but everything we do uh, delivers on, on that promise and we work with our customers in order to, to, to deliver on that promise. Uh, other initiatives that we're undertaking with, with different countries around the world. We have a couple of things. One is called the, the CDA, which I don't know if you've heard of it, which is the Country Digitization Acceleration. So this is a program that we do at the national level with some countries uh, around the world. And this is an environment where we, um, we discuss with the national government three to five key areas that we will work on with that country. Now, these could be education, it could be healthcare, it could be uh, manufacturing, it could be you know, some things that are more techy, perhaps cybersecurity, it could be smart cities as a whole. So we select a number of these initiatives uh, with the countries based on their priorities and their needs, and we invest uh, in those pillars, as we call them, with the country in terms of uh, research, in terms of developing uh, new tailored solutions, and a lot of times we develop specific technologies and specific solutions to address those at the local level. So this touches, obviously, uh, the, the country, the priorities of the country, and the people associated with, uh, with that country. And this is, this is an investment that we do uh, from Cisco working with those countries for the benefit uh, of those countries and then translating into cities, of course. If we go to, to cities, you know, we always say, and you know, I always tell my team and, you know, at a global level, that there is no, uh, there is no city mayor or city manager uh, that wakes up in the morning and says, well, you know what? I want a I want a better network. <laughs> they don't think like that. They they are thinking about how do I reduce congestion in the city center? How do I make healthcare more accessible? How do I make education more accessible? How do I reduce energy? How do I reduce uh, cost of running a city so I can inject some of the the savings from that back into some of the other aspects? And, and, and our role is obviously uh, working within within that framework and seeing how how uh, how technology can help deliver deliver those. So this is this is 
this is this is really what we did. I mean, obviously, it's a learning process. At the beginning, uh, it was a lot about you know putting in technology and and and, and then figuring out what to do with it. <laughs> now it's it's taken a completely different approach. Is you know what do we need to do? What are the outcomes and the use cases? And then what technology can we use in order to deliver on those? So the, the the paradigm has changed a little bit, uh, at least from our perspective. And uh, again, all the conversations I have is not okay. We're going to give you a fantastic, you know, broadband network that then you can use to do a bunch of things. No, it's you know this is an education solution. This is a healthcare solution. This is a waste management solution. And these are the returns that you will get, or the outcomes that you will get out of this solution. And by the way. This is the infrastructure and the, the the technology that you will need to deliver in this. So we we, you know, we're adapting to those realities, uh, but it's definitely something that is top of mind as we engage with cities nowadays. I I need to ask the question that is a natural extension sure. of that, uh, Yasser. Um, we're sure on time, but I, I need to sort of get a sense of, of course, what's coming. I need to, you need to give us a little bit of a look under the hood. What, uh, what's sort of the next three years? What can you tell us about the next three years? You can tell, tell us anything, but give, give me three years okay. worth, worth of insight or something. Uh, what, what, what's there for you? What are you working on or what would you like to share? Sure. Um, I mean, one of the one of the main things, you know, when we started this, uh, you know, there was a lot of work. You know, sixty seventy percent of the work is working with our with our customers, with our city customers, uh, convincing them what a smart city is and you know what they're able to achieve uh, from it. Uh, in for the most part, this has changed completely now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the types of conversations that I have today is we want to be a smart city, but what does that mean? Mm. So we, you know, we kind of start looking into what that actually means and what's important, what are the priorities for, uh, for the individual city. So a lot of demand is coming uh, around that. In terms of the future, I think uh, a lot of the things that are happening today are so in, let's say, POC land or pilot land, mm. uh, with some exceptions that are starting to look at how to scale that. So one of the things uh, that I believe is going to to develop uh, quite substantially are business models and financing models to allow the scaling of, of some of these things. And we are... Uh, working in collaboration with some financial uh, institutions such as the Global Infrastructure Fund and, and, and others that allow the implementation of these smart city solutions and smart city environments whilst not putting a large financial burden on the cities uh, today because that obviously we see as, as a lot of challenge with a lot of cities, not only in the developing world but in the, in the developed world as well. Uh, so, I believe the, the sort of the, the financial and the business engineering of things. This is an area that you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of movement in as as we move forward, which allows the scaling of those things. In terms of the technologies themselves, so you had a comment. 
No, I was just going to say, um, I, I just want to sort of, you know, hear, hear on that one. I mean, that, that issue around sort of lack of scaling at the moment uh, and, and sort of access to capital or being creative to attract capital is certainly one that we're hearing globally. And I just, um, I'm excited to hear sort of that, that that's sort of certainly on the drawing board, uh, you know, in, in your shop as well. Definitely is, and, and we've started with some some smaller cities initially to, to test it out in, uh, in in North America and in Europe and, and soon in Asia as well. Uh, obviously, you know we're not going to start with the the New Yorks and the Londons and the Sydneys of the world. Uh, you know we're starting small just to test out the uh, the the paradigm and the model. But you know if proven successful. I think this will this will expand to uh, to a much more uh, uh, to a much wider uh, audience to to address the the, the big cities because the big cities have the bigger challenges. But mm -hmm. obviously, we got to start somewhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, on the technology side, you know, a, a lot of maturity. You know, we're seeing uh, you know things becoming more accurate, more 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 reliable, and so on and so forth. So this is a natural uh, technology uh, progression. Uh, last but not least is, is something that I did mention earlier, which is around data. Mm. So, you know, everybody knows the value of data. And, you know, I think it was like 2006 already when they came out with the slogan, data is the new oil and mm. all of that. But I think people are, are realizing now the value of the data that they have and the value of the data that they're able to get. But I don't think uh, we've come to the realization of the true value and more importantly, what do we do with it? And, and this is an area I think that we're seeing a lot of development in uh, the topics of AI and ML. I believe they're still in their infancy uh, and there's gonna be a huge amount of investment uh, and development in, in that area uh, as we move forward. I just wanna ask one final question, Yasa. We'll have to be quick, but is there something that uh... Uh, that you've got there that you're working on uh, or an idea or something that someone else is doing that uh, is really exciting you at the moment. Give us more of a personal reflection on sort of what's, uh, what's keeping you excited at the moment. Oh, wow. <laughs> so many things. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's only natural. I mean, the field, the field that I'm in, it's, it, it, it's very exciting, and even though I've been doing it for for quite a while now, uh, you know, every day is 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 an exciting. You know, just meeting people that are, you know, embarking on this journey or trying to figure it out or helping them reach their uh, goals and so on and so forth. That's really exciting. Um, personally, so I have a, you know, I, I coined this uh, this statement uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and that is, uh, people live in cities, not censors, uh, because censors, people live in cities, censors don't live in cities. Because when, when some of this movement started, people say, oh, we're going to censorize the whole city. We're going to put 100,000, 300,000 censors out in the city. Then, you know, let's figure it out. Going back to your earlier points about, uh, you know, people versus technology. Uh, but at the end of the day, if those censors, don't serve the people that live in the cities, then they're absolutely useless. They're just going to collect dust and nobody's going to use them. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to, to work on projects 
uh, and with cities and with other organizations uh, around how do we personalize all of these technologies? How do we really deliver value to, um, to the citizens and to the people? And whilst yes, you know, we, we, you know, some of the things I mentioned earlier, we look at the benefits. I think uh, if we somehow quote, better qualify and, and quantify that, and this is one of the things I've started working on and, and really uh, excite me, is to really come up with, you know, this is the citizen's view in quantifiable ways, the citizen's view of how their lives will change as we start moving into into the smart city direction. So yeah, so this is from a personal perspective. Even though I work with technology companies, I'm a firm believer that technology is, is not the be all and end all of smart cities. It's it's about the people. And as I embark on these projects that touch the people, uh, I'm, I'm I'm really excited about that. Even though it's outside my technology comfort zone per se, but it's definitely an exciting one, and and then one that I've uh, personally been trying to uh, to push for the last couple of years now. Uh, well, yes, yeah, sir. I I got to uh, I got to sort of put things to a uh, an end there. Uh, the the good news is for our listeners, um, there uh, there's there's another opportunity um, to hear more insights. Um, and thoughts and observations from from Yasser as he sort of uh, undertakes and fulfills the role of our scene setter presentation at Smart Cities Week in a couple of weeks in Sydney uh, on Thursday, 31st of October. So looking forward to having you in, in Sydney, Yasser, to uh, contribute to that uh, that dialogue. But for now, um, it's, been a, it's been a great conversation. Uh, looking forward to catching up again soon. But thank you so much for joining us on the Smart Cities Chronicles. Thank you very much, Adam. Uh, it's been great being here and you know, happy to connect with your uh, listeners at any time. And as you said, um, I'll be in Sydney in, in a couple of weeks and, and hope to see you there. And for our listeners, uh, our guest uh, today, uh, Yasser Helmi from Cisco, looking after and leading smart cities in Asia Pacific. Uh, for those that aren't subscribing to the Smart City Cities Chronicles podcast, you can do so on those typical platforms, your favorite platforms such as Spotify and uh, Apple Podcast. You can head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com or indeed, uh, we love feedback, we love comments. You can email us anytime, chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. For now, we're signing off on the Chronicles. My name is Adam Beck, your host. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Have a great day.